Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, November 26th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's episode by Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. All right, guys. Welcome to a news episode. Let's uh, let's talk about all the stuff that we haven't had time to talk about over the past several days. Uh, let's talk actually about something that broke earlier this morning. Uh, Brad, tell us about the future of DC and their superhero movies. What's going on over there? Oh, we don't know because it's a mess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I mean, uh, you know, DC movies are kind of still recovering from shifting away from Zack Snyder's uh, vision of the DC extended universe. Obviously, obviously, since Batman v Superman and Justice League were not exactly what uh, audiences were hoping for, mostly, aside from a small sect of vocal fans, um, there needed to be some restructuring and a different focus. And a big part of that is kind of shifting away from trying to do what Marvel did and create this big interconnected universe. Uh, the success of Joker shows that fans don't necessarily need that. And even though Wonder Woman and Aquaman did very well at the box office and are getting sequels, we'll start to see a shift away from a unified vision with movies like Birds of Prey and a reboot of Batman coming up with Robert Pattinson. 
Uh, and so a lot of a lot of the stuff we already know about as, uh, in the next few years includes those movies and Birds of Prey and then Aquaman's been off the trench. But Warner Brothers are still very keen on getting a Flash movie off the ground with Ezra Miller. Um, there's been a lot of trouble behind the scenes. As we know, the directors have switched a few times. But right now, Andy Muschietti is still attached as director with Bumblebee writer Christina Hodson doing the script. Uh, they're hoping to get that off the ground soon, but the trouble seems to be Ezra Miller's fantastic beast schedule, making it difficult to get on the docket. So if it does start production, it probably wouldn't happen until sometime in 2021. But that's still a priority for Warner Brothers as of now. Hmm. Uh, they're also uh, working on getting a Green Lantern movie together still. Uh, the idea of a Green Lantern core movie was announced at Comic-Con a few years ago. But it's just been in development for a while. Uh, Jeff Johns is supposed to be finishing a script uh, by the end of the year. And th that's basically where that project is at. There's kind of this hope, actually, that um, along with Green Lantern and uh, Superman, that maybe there's this idea that J.J. Abrams and Bad Robot might be interested at taking a crack uh, at a couple of these DC Comics movies. J.J. Abrams' uh, production banner has a new first look deal at Warner Brothers, and they've already had talks with Abrams about Superman, at the very least in general. But it seems like those talks aren't necessarily any indication of something solid happening because Warner Brothers also has met with Michael B. Jordan and listened to a pitch he had to play Superman himself, which would be the first time we've seen that character played by a black actor uh, on the big screen, or, or really in, in any, I think, uh, media like that. So a, a lot of this stuff is uncertain, and um, there's even more speculation than there is hard facts about exactly what Warner Brothers has planned. Mm -hmm. uh, but we know that one, um, one thing that we'll, we'll see happen, uh, much in the same way that Disney Plus is expanding Marvel's roster of projects, is that HBO Max will start to have some DC Comics properties debut there. Uh, some of them will be superhero shows, like we know there's a Green Lantern series that Arrowverse producer Greg Berlanti is working on, but the plan is to also have some other properties debut there that will have a smaller budget, somewhere under $65 million, and they'll use some lesser-known actors to get those off the ground. Um, and then sad news for anybody out there who is desperately clinging to the hope that the uh, Snyder Cut will eventually get released with all the active campaign that's been going on. Uh, apparently, one insider said, quote, that's a pipe dream. There's no way it's ever happening. And Warner Brothers currently has no plans to release the Snyder Cut on HBO Max, in theaters, Laserdisc, or anything like that. So this report seems to indicate that there is still a lot of work left to be done on the Snyder Cut, right? Like, it seems to imply that a lot of money would need to be spent to get it in uh, into releasable shape. Is that correct? Um, I mean, presumably. That's that's kind of... That's the, a lot of the rumblings behind the scenes have said that it's not completely finished, but maybe it's more finished than some people think. It's really tough to, like, cut through all the BS that's out there, because some people... Like, Jason Momoa and stuff seem to hint that they've seen it, and it's mm -hmm. like, okay, but but in what form? So it's 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 hard to tell. Um, but I, I think either way, Warner Brothers just wants to distance themselves from that path. Because at the end of the day, even if you get a Snyder cut of Justice League, Zack Snyder's cut was supposed to be the first of two movies where uh, Justice League 2 would have had to finish the story. And Warner Brothers definitely isn't going to do that. So all you're doing is pleasing a small sect 
of a fan base and just establishing some you know goodwill and that's probably not worth spending as much money as they would need to to release that movie yeah that's a good point um chris are you still interested in seeing a flash movie with ezra miller because if if brad's timeline sort of plays out that way it will be i think what four or five years between justice league and the time that ezra miller reprises that role again as the flash are you interested in that at all I have zero interest in a Flash movie with Ezra Miller. Nothing against Ezra Miller. He seems like a, a nice fellow. I just don't care about the Flash movie with him. I like If they like made a Flash movie and they were like, we're going to have to recast, I would not for a second be like, oh, no. I'd, be, I'd say, fine, whatever. <laughs> Cast whoever you want. <laughs> what about you, Brad? What do you think about Ezra Miller? Because I, I find myself... Um... I was not really impressed with his version of the character, even though I know he was like a big fan favorite for those people who liked Justice League. Where, where do you fall on that? Yeah, it almost seemed like he was trying to ham it up a little too much. Uh, I, I think Ezra Miller is a fantastic actor, and he seemed like he was having a blast in that role. But it just felt like they were really trying to tap too much into making uh, The Flash, this the DC version of Tom Holland's Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it felt too close to that to really stand out in a, in a way. So... I, the only way I'd be interested in seeing Ezra Miller stick with the Flash is if they decided to follow through on the whole Flashpoint storyline as a way of trying to reboot what happened in the DC Extended Universe before it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, well, let's continue talking about the DC Universe. And, uh, Brad, you mentioned Robert Pattinson's new Batman movie coming up. Uh, we've gotten yet another casting announcement for that film. Uh, Chris, who is the latest person to be brought onto the cast of the Batman? Uh, John Turturro will play Carmine Falcone, who is the, um, or I always said Falcone, but in Batman Begins, which the character is also in, they call it, they pronounce it Falcone, which I think is weird, but (laughs) whatever, whatever pronunciation you prefer, that's the character he's playing. Um, uh, this, the addition of him, of this character, along with all the other villains that are in the movie really strongly indicates that the rumor that's been knocking around that. The movie's going to uh, the Batman's going to be taking a lot of inspiration from the Long Halloween. It sounds like that might be correct because uh, the the Falcone crime family plays a big part in the in the Long Halloween, and that comic has a bunch of villains in it. So maybe it is true that Matt Reeves is going to be borrowing at least some elements from the Long Halloween. Yeah, it seems like this is. You know, this cast is just, it's continually growing, and these are big people, you know, theoretically for small roles, so it just seems like they have to be doing something super expansive that, I think there were some rumblings that, like, the character, uh, that Batman might, you know, walk through Arkham or something like that, and, and Arkham Asylum plays some role in this movie, and that would make a lot of sense for, like, how all of these, uh, villains are appearing, it just seems, um, like uh, all of these big name actors, are they really jumping on board this project just for the opportunity to appear for, you know, two minutes of screen time or something? Or is it all just like planting seeds for future movies? What do you think about that? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It, it, uh, um, my only guess is like either one, the money is very good because listen, I'll, I'll gladly be in the Batman for two minutes, Matt Reeves, if you want to pay me millions of dollars <laughs> and two, Maybe the script is really good, and maybe all these people are really excited to work on this this movie. I mean, I, I you know, I'm even though uh, a part of me is like, oh, do we need another Batman reboot? I am excited for how this is shaping up. I think Matt Reeves is a, is a good director. I love 
the cast so far. I mean, this might actually turn out to be something really special. Spoken like the true Batman villain that you are, Chris, the <laughs> blogger starring <laughs> star Chris Evangelista. So uh, I, I eagerly await your casting announcement in the Batman. Um, so, Brad, you mentioned J.J. Abrams uh, potentially maybe being involved with these DC superhero movies. We know that he is involved in, of course, in Star Wars, The Rise of uh, Skywalker, which is the final entry in the Skywalker saga. There's been a lot of talk about the Emperor showing up in this movie. And I think we learned something recently. This is new information, right? About J.J. Abrams and his intentions to bring the Emperor back. This is not something that uh, just sort of sprung up out of the blue for him. It seems like he's had this idea for a little while. Yeah, and this is especially interesting since J.J. Abrams was never ever really planning on coming back to do another Star Wars movie. Uh, but apparently when him and Lawrence Kasdan were working on the story for The Force Awakens, they kind of thought about how the story might proceed from there. And their intention was always that at some point the Emperor would need to come back, if only to uh, complete the trilogy arc, since he's been such a key figure in both the prequels trilogy and the original trilogy. And so in a, a recent interview with Uproxx, he talked about how it would essentially be really weird if Palpatine didn't return. And he said, quote, uh, you just look at what he talks about, who he is, how important he is, what the story is. Strangely, his absence entirely from the third trilogy would be conspicuous. It would be very weird. Uh, that's not to say there was a Bible and we knew it happened at every step. But when Larry Kazan and I worked on Force Awakens, we didn't do it in a vacuum. We very purposely looked at what came before. We chose to tell a story that touches upon specific things and themes and ideas that we've seen before to begin a new story. But we examined all that came before to ask, where does this feel like it's going? So there were discussions about that at the time. Yet, like any beginning, you want to put the threads in, but you don't want to necessarily be literal, literal about everything. So it sounds like that maybe there's something about The Force Awakens, whether it's a question, something that happened that isn't fully explored or answered, that will tie in to the Emperor. And that was likely always the intention of, of Abrams, that that's where it would go. It seems like a, I don't know, kind of risky to have a dangling thread like that when you know or at least think that you're not going to be in control over where the franchise goes. Mm -hmm. but, at the, but at the same time, you know, Ryan Johnson and Abrams had discussions between Force Awakens and Last Jedi so that there was, you know, some idea of where the story was going, even though Johnson still had full reign to kind of do what he wanted to do. Um, but as Abrams has said, apparently what Ryan Johnson did with The Last Jedi didn't really derail any ideas that him and uh, Lawrence Kasdan had for uh, what would become The Rise of Skywalker. And so it, it's it's interesting to maybe think about where that connection lies. The, the, the most obvious answer is probably something to do with Rey, since she's the character who has the most mystery about her. Um, but, you know, like the, re the return of someone like the Emperor does call into question the idea of, like, then how what was Snoke's role in all this and how's that tie in? So it seems like if they're going to really do this right, that they definitely have some explaining to do. That's what I was going to ask. If, can you think of any other um, potential paths that, that you might be able to see uh, as connecting tissue between the movies that we've seen so far that, that could lead to rise of Skywalker? I think Ray is a good choice. I think, I think uh, Snoke might be something there too, but are, are there any other potential, um, like tracks that that maybe could be recontextualized by something that we see in the rise of skywalker anything you can think of brad i mean it just it depends i guess on how well thought out palpatine's return was uh both from a character perspective as far as the the character's plan 
and from a writer's perspective as far as Abrams and Kazan are concerned. So, I mean, there's, there's, you could easily, the laziest way to do it would be that, you know, could, because the Emperor has always talked about things coming to, um, coming to fruition as he's foreseen it. So the Emperor has always been uh, somebody who has sight into the future to see what's going to happen and how things are going to play out, even if they haven't necessarily gone his way. So maybe there's just this overlying thing of that he's been biding his time knowing that this opportunity will come again. There's even a line in you know, the trailer that says, uh, he says, your coming together will be your undoing. So, you know, it's it could easily just be one of those things where he's been sitting and waiting and now is the time for him to take advantage of the situation yeah uh well continuing with the star wars news um kathleen kennedy the president of lucasfilm spoke with entertainment weekly recently and she said uh that we sat down so basically the the gist of the story is that they uh before the rise of skywalker was even written uh, kennedy i think and some maybe the lucasfilm story group it's actually unclear who exactly she's talking about but a group of people involved with lucasfilm sat down and took a bunch of notes from george lucas himself who has not been you know an active part of these movies ever since he sold off lucasfilm back in 2012. um kennedy said we sat down with george for a long meeting before we ever put pen to paper on this final episode so we had the benefit of his thoughts we took a lot of notes as yoda would say there's great responsibility that goes with doing this and i think we all take that seriously so for me like the wording there and the timeline is a little bit unclear because was kennedy actually there does she just mean you know, the people in the story group, was she actually talking about Colin Trevorrow and Derek Connolly back when they were, you know, on board? Because they, you know, essentially wrote a version of episode nine that we will not get to see, uh, even though they did sort of retain um, story credit for the final version of the script. Or is she talking about J.J. Abrams and Chris Terrio, the current writers? Like what What exactly, you know, when exactly did this happen? Uh, how much of Lucas's ideas or did any of them actually get incorporated into the final version of this movie? We have no idea. I was speculating that, I want, I wonder if, because um, I think Colin Trevorrow has said that the idea of the Emperor returning actually came from J.J. Abrams, and I was wondering if, uh, because George Lucas was disappointed with The Force Awakens, if maybe Abrams included the Emperor as a way to essentially like satisfy George Lucas, um, you know, like pay tribute to him in some way and tie this whole thing in, uh, sort of in reaction to Lucas's reaction to The Force Awakens. But from the story that you just talked about, Brad, it sounds like that wasn't the case because, you know, uh, Abrams and um, Lawrence Kasdan were sort of theoretically like planning to, to plant these seeds, you know, even before The Force Awakens was done. So, um, yeah, a lot of questions there. And, and I wonder if we'll ever find out like what George Lucas's contributions were uh, to this. And man, the, the whole Emperor thing, I'm still <laughs> I'm still a little hesitant about that. But um, I'm very curious to see how it's going to play out. But at least J.J. Abrams himself claims that uh, this this movie is going to have um, that, that fans are going to be pleased with it. Right, Chris? No comment. <laughs> no, I mean, the next story is he, Abrams actually says, uh, what, what did he say? Uh, yeah, so J.J. Abrams, uh, he's out there, he's, he's talking up the, the rise of Skywalker because that's the world we live in right now, and that movie's coming out, and that's all we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. Um, he, he boils it down to saying that, um, and this is something he said before, but he's given it, he gives it more clarity here that not only is, you know, the rise of Skywalker going to be a conclusion to this new trilogy, it's a conclusion 
to everything, to Star Wars as a whole. Um, that's not to say Star Wars is ending. It's just that the Skywalker saga is coming to an end. He says, um, uh, when they sat down to make this movie, he says, quote, we had to look at not just what Ryan Johnson had done with The Last Jedi. We had to look at what the prequels had done and four, five and six. And of course, seven and eight. Um, so, you know, this sort of ties into, again, the whole emperor thing, I guess, that he's. He's trying not to just conclude this new trilogy. He wants to bring a big end to everything, to the saga as a whole. And he's really committed to making it satisfying. Of course, um, <laughs> we have to take, you know, whether or not it's going to be satisfying at face value. Of course, he want, he's going to say, I, I'm giving you a satisfying <laughs> ending because it's his movie. Uh, but, you know, I, we'll see how it turns out. At the very least, it seems like he's really committed to, you know, capping this off in a big conclusive way a way that's really going to wrap everything up i mean there, there's been some talk from like other star wars properties i think like a comic we may have talked about on the podcast before where somebody was just like the the author of the comic i think said something along the lines of like this is going to be divisive and so i guess abrams could have said something like that but uh yeah the fact that uh, i agree chris we have to take that with a grain of salt but um i would have loved it if he's just like i don't know if this is going to be satisfying to people yeah. um so yeah uh okay so let's talk about something uh slightly more serious apple has a new movie coming out called well we don't know if it's coming out actually called the banker uh which was supposed to be one of the opening movies at the this year's AFI Film Festival here in Hollywood. Uh, at the last minute, the day before it was set to premiere, the movie got pulled from the festival schedule and replaced with Marriage Story instead. And The Banker was actually going to hit theaters on December 6th, but uh, last Friday, Apple announced that they've delayed the, re the release of this movie indefinitely. So if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, The Banker is a movie that stars Anthony Mackie and Samuel L. Jackson. They play, I think it takes place in the 1950s or 60s, they play two black businessmen who uh, concocted this plan, it's based on a true story, where these guys uh, tried to essentially battle the racially oppressive real estate industry and help other black people achieve the American dream. And they decided to do this by training a white man to be the face of their organization while these two guys posed as a janitor and a chauffeur. So this is a, a real thing. It's based on real events. Uh, eventually, the government sort of catches wind of their scheme and threatens to take down everything that they've accomplished. Um, Apple wanted to release this movie at the end of the year to you know, be um, in consideration for awards and stuff. Uh, George Nolfi, who directed the Adjustment Bureau, directed the movie. So uh, with all of that sort of uh, preamble out of the way, the reason this movie was pulled was because one of the people involved with it uh, was accused of sexually molesting his relatives, so his half sisters. So uh, one of the one of the subjects of the movie, Samuel, L. Um, sorry, actually uh, Anthony Mackie's character, is uh, Bernard Garrett Sr. And Bernard Garrett Jr., who's the son of that character in real life and who does not appear in the movie, but is a co-producer or was listed as a co-producer on the movie, is the one who is being, um, uh, I guess, uh, these, these accusations are, are being alleged against him. So uh, apparently he took his name off the movie as a co-producer because he didn't want to, um, you know, like take the attention away from his father's story. Uh, these sisters are basically making, making this claim that he uh, molested them back in the 70s. 
and there's been basically like a whole blow up about this like apple and and the companies are trying to figure out what's going on what's what's happening they're like you know putting their own investigations into it uh and they've delayed the movie um you know until they figure out what's going on here so i basically i wanted to bring this up because this is one of the few times that i can think of in you know since like me too and times up and all that started where um a uh, sexual assault or, or harassment claim has been made against somebody who is not necessarily like a major player in the movie, but the movie itself is still being uh, pulled or at least temporarily pulled. So, um, like, it's it's really okay. So first of all, I mean, we should this doesn't even need to be said, but just in case anybody out there needs to hear this, the idea that these women were abused is horrible. Uh, and obviously we sympathize with them. But like from a business perspective, looking at this case and sort of taking a, a bird's eye view of it, this is sort of fascinating because the person who is, you know, alleged to have committed committed these acts is not the subject of the movie. He's the son of the subject of this movie. And, and as far as I know, he's not he doesn't appear in the movie at all. So it boils down to a co-producer of this movie is uh, is being investigated here. So I just wanted to throw this out to you guys. Like, can you think of any other cases where somebody that is so, um, I don't know, like non-essential, I guess would be the word to the, to, you know, being the face of a movie um, is, is maybe... Uh, I guess involved with a film that could potentially be brought down by bad behavior like this. Like this seems like we're breaking new ground here. I mean, the only thing that I can think of is the whole situation with the interview. With the interview, uh, how Kim Jong Un caused the delay of the interview because of the the threats. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So that. Yeah. I, I guess uh, I was and, and, and an entirely different situation, but. Right. Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, yeah, I was I was trying to sort of thinking about it more in like a post Me Too kind of world. But I guess my ultimate question is this: like, if uh, Hollywood is now um, taking allegations seriously against people who are not, uh, you know, the actor like Kevin Spacey, where he was completely replaced from the movie, or a director like Woody Allen, where his movie was pulled from release by Amazon. Um, or, you know, any of the, the more high-profile cases, if Hollywood is beginning to start to um, take some of these allegations seriously against lower-level people on the crew, does that signal, like, a new era in, um, in, in <laughs> I don't know what you would call it, like, social consciousness on Hollywood's part? Because, you know, there are a lot of really shitty people in Hollywood, and a lot of really shitty people with, uh, you know, co-producer credits who, like, maybe bring a project to uh, a company or something and just sort of have their name attached to it. And if, I don't know, it, just, it seems, like, promising to me is what I'm getting at. Like, the idea that, um, that because I've seen this this narrative put forth that, like, the, uh, the Me Too movement and Time's Up and all of that has sort of, like, come to a slow, a slow crawl or, like, even stopped altogether. But the idea that this movie is being uh, seriously investigated... This situation is being seriously investigated because of these claims. Um, seems to signal to me that like Hollywood is not only uh, not stopped this, you know, taking these claims seriously, but is actually taking it more seriously than they ever have before because this person is not necessarily like integral to the making of the movie. So um, I don't know. Am I reading too much into this? What do you guys think of that? 
man, I don't know. It's, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, th- that is a, a good way of looking at it the way you're, you're saying now, but at the same, like maybe I'm so like jaded. I, I refuse to believe Hollywood does the right thing <laughs> for any real reason other than like the bottom line. And I want to believe they're going to get more serious about this stuff, but I don't know. Every, I just, ha- the whole, the, the whole business is like everyone's in it for themselves. And I, ha- I have trouble buying into that, but it'd be great if it were true. Yeah. I don't know. This is just such a, it's a, such a unique case from, you know, the, the types of cases that we normally hear about in the, the Hollywood sphere like this. And I, I'm sure a lot of people are going to be wondering, like, is this an instance of like the actions of a father being uh, punished by the, the sins of his son like the the father who's the subject of this movie didn't have anything to do with this theoretically you know so like there's there's a, a case to be made that like this this shouldn't be taken out on this movie that uh that deals with you know the, the father and if the the son's name has been removed from the the film then maybe the you know that's all that needs to be happening in this, in this movie can uh, can go forth as planned. I don't know. It's a very complicated topic. I just wanted to sort of throw it out there and, and sort of take your temperature on that. But um, I wanted to bring it to people's attention too because it's so so much more like complex than the sort of uh, more clear cut stories than we've heard in the the sort of post Times Up era. So uh, anyway, yeah, we we certainly don't have all the answers on this one, but I just I thought it was worth talking about. Um, okay, let's talk about uh, another movie that's been delayed for uh, nowhere near the same reasons. But uh, Chris, tell us about uh, Godzilla vs. Kong. We, people thought we were going to be seeing this movie early next year, and that seems uh, not not the case anymore. Right. Uh, Godzilla vs. Kong was supposed to come out in March of 2020, and now it's being moved to November of 2020. So that's a full year away from now, and, and it's an eight-month push from when it was supposed to come out. And um, I feel like a lot of people thought this was coming. There was even some theories that Warner Brothers was just going to flat out dump it onto HBO Max, their new streaming service, simply because, um, you know, this isn't a reflection on the quality of the film itself. We haven't seen it. Maybe the film is really good. But the the so-called monster verse is sort of not doing very well. Um, you know, the, the 2014 Godzilla was a box office hit and uh, Kong skull Island was a box office hit too, but they weren't like huge hits. And then the most recent film Godzilla King of the monsters was considered a box office disappointment. And it also got the, the worst reviews of the, of the three films released so far. So it sort of feels like this attempt at, uh, from Warner brothers and legendary to have their own Godzilla cinematic universe. Isn't really working out that well. And, uh, so now they're pushing this back. Now this could be one or two reasons. Um, it could be, they're going to do reshoots to try and make the film more palatable, or it could also just be a, an attempt to, you know, sort of distance the film, literally distance it from Godzilla, King of the monsters, like sort of be like, all right, forget all about that movie. It came out a long time ago. This is something completely new. Even though I think it's supposed to retain some of the main cast members from right, like Millie Bobby Brown is in it, and Kyle Chandler is in it, and they were in Godzilla versus uh, King of the Monsters, and of course Godzilla is in it too. <laughs> yeah, kind of hard to ignore that one. <laughs> um, Brad, I think you're a big fan of uh, of Kong Skull Island. Are you were you excited about Godzilla versus Kong, or was this um, this monster verse never really your thing, or what? Um, yeah, I mean, I was at the very least interested. I, I did like Kong Skull Island quite a bit, more than I liked the reboot of Godzilla. Uh, I think I enjoyed Godzilla King of Monsters 
um, more than most people on the staff. But I, I don't know. It's the the idea of the giant monsters fighting each other and that kind of thing can only go so far. And I'm just I'm just not entirely sure what to expect from it that isn't just a special effects extravaganza. Uh, as far as you know, the story is concerned. So mm-hmm. while while there's definitely a spectacle to behold there, I, I wasn't necessarily looking forward to it as one of my more anticipated movies of the year or anything like that. Yeah, you you talk about how that concept can only go so far, and to me, like it could only go this far. Like Godzilla versus Kong seemed like the sort of natural endpoint for this, uh, I guess, movie monster universe kind of thing, and. For it to be delayed eight months, that's a pretty significant delay, and I wonder if um, they're having second thoughts about <laughs> about this because of the financial performance of those of the other uh, movies, as you mentioned, Chris. But um, yeah, we'll have to see. I, I, you know, fingers crossed that it turns out better than uh, King of the Monsters, which I, I was not a huge fan of. But um, okay, let's talk about our last news story of the day, and that is that Harrison Ford is coming back to TV for the first time in 25 years. Chris, what is the project that is luring Harrison Ford back to the small screen? Right. Harrison Ford, the last time he was on TV was in an episode of the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, where he played Indiana Jones with a beard. And uh, now he's coming back uh, for a a TV adaptation of The Staircase. The Staircase was or is a um, true crime um, docuseries. It originally aired on um, television and then Netflix bought the rights to it and filmed three additional episodes. Uh, so Did it's you on talk Net- about this on the water cooler one time? Yeah, I, I, I reviewed it for the site and I, I've seen it. Um, and so it's it's the story of uh, Michael Peterson who um, was accused of murdering his wife, and his defense was that um, his wife Kathleen Peterson fell down the stairs and and uh, you know bled to death after hitting her head. That was his defense. And the docu-series presents um, a lot of compelling evidence that maybe he's innocent. At the same time, you know, they could never draw full conclusions. And it's also worth pointing out that the docu-series has to be taken with a grain of salt because it later was revealed that Michael Peterson was having a romantic relationship with the the editor of the docu-series, which kind of of makes it not the most objective um, thing. So there is that to keep in mind. But in any case, uh, Harrison Ford is going to play Michael Peterson in in this t uh, this new TV adaptation of of the the docu series. So what do you think about Ford's casting in that role, Chris? Having seen the the real thing, do you think he's a good fit for that character? He actually is. Um, he doesn't really like look. He he sort of vaguely looks like the real Michael Peterson, but. Um, I think Harrison Ford can definitely play this sort of character where you can't really like sort of figure him out where you you can sort of believe that maybe he is guilty, maybe he's not. And I think he, he could actually really sink his teeth into this. Harrison Ford, um, I think, can be a really great actor with the right material. I, you know, a lot of people accuse him of being sort of like one note and he, he does sort of tend to play the same part every time now and then. But I do think in with the right role, he's he's a really fantastic actor, and I'm I'm really interested to see what he does with this. Brad, I know you think Harrison Ford is a piece of trash, so you're probably not interested in this, right? That's true. Uh, Indiana Jones is trash. Han Solo is trash. The Fugitive is trash. Um, yeah, I mean, I just don't know if there's any hope for this guy to have a career. <laughs> Are you no, excited I... about this? Have you seen the the original Staircase? 
No, I, I'm not really familiar with it at all. Um, but no, I, I do. I think Harrison Ford's a fantastic actor. It's uh, it's interesting to see. You know, I think when he takes the time to do something and really puts effort into it and doesn't uh, phone it in at this stage in his career, then it's it can work. And so hopefully this will be something like that. I will basically just play the wait and see game whenever a trailer comes out and see if it piques my interest at all. I I guess I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this, but I kind of thought that Harrison Ford like sprung forth fully formed in American Graffiti, and I'm looking at his IMDb page right now, and it looks like his early TV career or his early career is full of like the type of TV shows that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character would have been in in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like he he was on a couple episodes of The Virginian and like The Mod Squad and FBI and uh, Gunsmoke and stuff like that. I had no idea that Harrison Ford had this. I guess I've just never like investigated his career, you know, pre uh, American Graffiti. But um, yeah, anyway, that's just a, a totally random side note for anybody who's interested in being maybe a Harrison Ford completist. Uh, it's interesting to sort of think about his his uh, career through that lens of you know now that we've we've seen what that uh, world was you know was like uh, through Quentin Tarantino's eyes anyway, but. Um, okay, I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of Slash Film Daily. Before we go, let's tell people where they can find more of our work online. Uh, Brad, let's start with you. Always on SlashFilm.com, on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton, and also my podcast, Go Flix Yourself, available on iTunes and other podcasting platforms. Chris? SlashFilm.com and on Twitter at Evangelista 413 you can find me writing at SlashFilm.com as well. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Pears. And you can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show and a bunch more that we didn't talk about at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air, and don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. That helps us out a lot. Tell your friends about the show, spread the word any way you can. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you all tomorrow.